Welcome to Small Biz Matters with Alexi Boyd. Whether you're listening live on the Community Radio Network or via podcast, here's the show where you learn from experts, be inspired by journeys, and discover more about making your small business a success. I'm Alexi Boyd, broadcaster, advocate, and small business owner. Let's meet today's guest. Whether you're investing in equipment to make your widget, vehicles to move your widget, or education to get better at developing your widget, we as small business owners understand that growth requires capital to fund our small business dream. And the most logical place to start is the financial institution which has previously supported us on our business journey. But that's where the brick walls start to pop up. In the last 12 months, things have changed. Lending criteria, requirements for financial fitness, what the banks are looking for and looking at has evolved. The goalposts have shifted. So who can you turn to to untangle this maze and get the funding that your business needs to grow? Today, we welcome David Gandolfo, Chair of Advocacy at CAFBA, which is the Commercial and Asset Finance Brokers Association of Australia, to explain what you need to know in regards to the changes over the past 12 months, what to expect now in small business lending, how to discuss what to access funds more efficiently. Wow, I was stumbling over my words quite a bit there, David. Alexi, thanks very much. It's great to be chatting with you again. Indeed, and a shame that we couldn't have you live in the studio, but it's even wonderful to have your time. I mean, you're bouncing around the country at the moment giving this advice to um, on behalf of your professional organisation. We're a big fan of professional organisations here at Small Biz Matters, and we know how important it is to educate and um, find out the correct information and, and the value of that. Just, just tell me about um, the professional organisation that you're part of and why you're so passionate about educating your members. Okay, so CAFA is the... Commercial and Asset Finance Brokers Association of Australia, and all of our members run commercial finance broking firms uh, who provide finance for small business borrowers. And that's probably in a nutshell. Uh, The market for commercial finance in Australia is about $100 billion a year, and brokers, one way or the other, intermediaries write about two-thirds of that. It varies from SMEs up to corporates, uh, what that percentage is. Uh, but CAFPA represents those brokers and we run our own education program and it's very much focused on outcomes for the customers of those firms. Fantastic. Thank you. Um, and it's fun to bounce around the country and do this in person now after this uh, hellhole that we've all been in for the last 12 months. But that's what we're talking about today because, you know, whether your business has been a success or, or, or not or gone through some real downtimes um, finance has played a really intricate part of that. And we're going to be talking a little bit about that today and, and gauging from you all that information and that knowledge that you've got from all the years of experience that you have in the industry. So let's talk about the uh, the COVID, the COVID, and really what impact has that had on small business borrowing in the last 12 months? Okay, short answer. Well, there is no short answer. It's been, it's been just a terrible 12 months in terms of just uh, the normal procedures of how you borrow. It's been terribly disjointed, quite apart from the loan deferral scheme, and I'll talk about those sorts of things. The fund, the first thing that happened was the broking firms like mine and all of our members and even the banks have had everybody working at home. So when you've normally got a group of people who work together and they can bounce ideas off each other, they're not in the same room anymore in the same office. And people who are working alone at home don't have people to bounce ideas off. So... And from one process to the next, it's an email or a Zoom or something else instead of literally just handing a file. So it's become terribly disjointed or did become terribly disjointed. Thankfully, now most of the broking firms and the banks are getting people back into the office. So that was the practical. 
what happened at the lending desk, uh, there were things like the loan deferral scheme and we were very, very grateful to the Bankers Association and the Treasury and to engage with stakeholders like us and COSBO and others in putting that in place uh, where, the, where borrowers could defer their repayments for six months or even longer in some circumstances. The government had the SMAG loans. There was SMEG 1, SMEG 2, and then there's, now there's a third iteration called SMIRL. Um, there was, the, the Treasury was doing things like the instant asset write-off, inducing people to go out and spend money. And what they were doing was they were creating a situation where they were saying to the banks, okay, you, you've got to make money available for people to go out and invest in their businesses. But at the same time, what was happening, the banks were actually tightening credit and they were removing simplified lending uh, programs. And in some cases, they were saying we're not lending in this area or that area, geographical area. Uh, Melbourne and Mitchell Shire was one area that uh, came in for a, some particular attention by some lenders. And lenders saying no more uh, new to bank customers. Uh, so, you know, it, whereas they would take each other's customers or take applications from each other's customers or second-tier lenders and finance companies were, uh, were taking applications from borrowers that they hadn't previously uh, dealt with, they weren't doing that anymore. So it completely changed the landscape of how you borrow money. It became terribly difficult, terribly convoluted and uh, terribly disjointed. I suppose I didn't realise the um, the impact of, um, I, I always thought that the process was more complex or the questions that they would ask or the hoops that you have to jump through are more complicated as a small business owner. But I suppose what I hadn't considered previously is that, that they just wouldn't take on new customers or they wouldn't um, uh, accept uh, you know, a, an acceptance from another bank, for instance, if you wanted to switch lenders for whatever reason. And that would have really shrunk the market and the opportunities that small businesses had um, to borrow money. Have you seen that on the ground anecdotally with people just going, well, I'm stuck with the bank that I'm stuck with and I, I can't move oh, and I can't shop around? Absolutely. In our business, we see this every day. And I guess we're talking more about the big four and then there's the, the larger banks like so the Macquarie's and BIQ's that I kind of like the big four, uh, the banks that are more commoditized in their lending, uh, where they have basically lending processes, or um, rather than uh, uh, bespoke lending, uh, they have more um, sort of commoditized or, or systemized lending. So it's basically ticking the boxes. And if you don't tick all the boxes, they say, okay, uh, we're not going to lend you. And they would add new boxes to tick, uh, and they would take new, uh, they would take products away. But yeah, that uh, Lexi, that moving from one bank to another, particularly if you're doing a refinance, that got more difficult. Now at the moment, that's starting to change again. So we're talking about the COVID period. But anecdotally, do we see this? Yeah, I mean, I run a broking business, um, and so we are at street level, customer facing every day. And we have had situations where we've been able, to, we've we've gone to lenders and said, you know, this is the deal. This is the customer they're buying a piece of earth moving equipment or a vehicle or um, they need trade or debtor finance and the bank would say, well, sorry, we don't know them. They're new to bank. So we can't, because they take in the simplified lending off uh, the agenda, uh, they were no longer available to um, uh, to those products. And so uh, it was the fully assessed lending uh, that went to the fore. Now, the other thing that happened was some of the bank's processing centres were offshore not every bank, but some of the banks had processing centres that were offshore. Now, they were impacted and they were closed down. So the processes that the banks were doing overseas, they couldn't do here. And when those, so they literally didn't have the process to do them. So 
that that also added to how disjointed and convoluted things became because banks weren't prepared uh, for this. They didn't literally didn't have the staff to do the processes that were being done offshore. That the reason I said that I say that is that when they're doing fully assessed lending, uh, if they've got breaks in the chain of how they assess credit and the credit checks that are being done, it, it you know what we would normally be able to do in two or three days was taking three, four, five weeks. So it, it absolutely changed things. And I guess it changed the behaviour in which you as brokers could um, have those discussions with your small business customers. What can they expect? No, you're not going to be able to, as you normally would, be able to buy this piece of equipment in a matter of days. It didn't matter that you could instantly write off the asset. The fact was you're not going to get the finance in time. And and I suppose that would have really affected um, the used um market as well because people are not able to move this equipment as quickly as as they would have and things would have stagnated did it do you think it devalued capital equipment or increased the value oh no it very much increased the value of capital equipment particularly used capital equipment so what was happening just in answer to that question um, there was if you look at it in terms of demand and supply the demand for finance didn't change even though COVID impacted everybody's business and there are, clearly there were some businesses in some industries that were, were more impacted than others, but there were others that were going gangbusters. I mean, we've got clients who are in transport, logistics, manufacturing, earth moving, uh, capital works, uh, transport. They were all, and they still are, going particularly well. And they have a hunger for capital equipment. They can't increase their throughput capacity without investing in new equipment. Now, there was no new equipment coming into the country or uh, it came down to a trickle. And even the second-hand mar car market has, has gone up in value because, say, for argument's sake, I don't think there's been too many new motor vehicles imported into Australia in the last 18 months. It's started, they're starting to come in now. But, you know, some marks like Volkswagen, Mercedes, uh, Toyota have had distribution problems with vehicles because they simply don't have the car, the stock coming to Australia. So because of that and because of these tax incentives, uh, people have been wanting to go out and buy new gear, new or second-hand equipment. Whether it's new or second-hand, if it does the same thing, they're prepared to pay a premium to buy it. Uh, and so the value of second-hand vehicles has gone up. The value of second-hand equipment has substantially gone up. I want to ask you as well about the, um, the, the basically, surely we've got second tier lenders coming in and just filling that void. Is that dangerous for small business? Is it going to cost them more money? Is it going to destabilise the financial sector? What's, what's been the impact of that over the last 12 months? I think it's fantastic for small business that uh, we've got second tier lenders that are coming to the market. So what's happened with the tightening of the main banks is that there are second tier lenders out there that uh, provide, that don't have the same lending criteria. They don't have that, that banking code of practice sort of oversight uh, and they don't have banking. They, they basically have finance company thinking. So if the deal makes sense, they can do the deal, but they don't have bank funding, which means that, yeah, they are a little bit more expensive. And I'm not talking about twice or three times more expensive, but instead of a, you know, a current interest rate of say a bank interest rate of say three or four percent, you might pay six or seven or eight percent. But uh, what's the cost of not doing the deal? If you've got a contract to build a road and you need, you know, some earth moving equipment, what's the cost of not getting that equipment? You've got a transport contract or you've got just a, a delivery contract or you need to put money, capital into your business to increase its throughput capacity. 
um, clearly the benefit is far greater uh, than the that incrementally higher cost of interest, which in the scheme of things is still pretty low. Yeah, so it's about weighing up um, what the benefits are for getting a relatively fast loan in order to get the equipment that is then going to increase your sales. So, And that comes around to neatly around to our next section we were going to talk about, which is about, you know, being financially aware and, and what you need to do um, in order to, to get better outcomes from from being um, from those lenders and, and making things move quickly. So in your experience, what can a small business typically do to make sure that they've got everything in place to be ready um, to be considered by lenders? Okay, good question. You've got more options available to you and you've got more information available. So be financially fit. So have your financials, your, your, financials, your tax information up to date, uh, your interim accounts if you run MIOB or zero, whatever it is that you run, have that information up to date, pay your bills uh, on time, have that up to date. And little things like your identifiers, like your driver's licence, if you move house, uh, make sure that your licence is updated because you need you need to provide information on yourself and you've got to identify yourself. Um, if you've got you know, leases on um, property or anything else, make sure that all the... Uh, uh, the utilities bills, all those sorts of things are up to date because quite often uh, part of the assessment, not, not so much the credit assessment part, but the identification process requires up-to-date information to make sure that uh, the borrower to whom the bank is lending uh, is providing accurate and up-to-date information. So, I mean, that's, that's not front of mind for most people, but just be financially fit. Uh, a couple of other things you can do, spread the risk. Don't always go to your own bank. I mean, we quite often introduce people back to their own bank if we've got a facility in place for them. But your one bank doesn't have every answer to every problem that you require. And there are bespoke lenders out there who do specific things that, and it's better to have a portfolio of lenders and a, a range of options available to you. And you so you're spreading the risk and you're not, concentrating all your exposure in one place because you can get to a level with your bank where you're at a half a million or a million dollars in exposure and you've then got to go through more hoops or a higher level of credit whereas if you have got your exposure at three or four different institutions and I'm going to put a plug for brokers here this is what brokers do for people they actually good brokers good commercial brokers will have a strategy in place to work out where the borrower can best get the best outcome from various lenders and have a strategy around what portfolio of loans they need to have and have that. Whether but, you do it yourself or you have your broker do it, to have that. But, but don't the banks talk to each other? I mean, I know you said you can spread out. Oh, yeah, but absolutely. They I mean, it, it, you're always going to disclose where those loans are, but you're still con you're concentrating the risk if you've got all your loans through the one bank. And, so, and I know that the bank wants to have all of your business and I understand that that's and they want to have they, they want to do your lending they want to do your superannuation they want to do they want to insure your home they want to have three or four contact points into your wallet that's that's their business model but that doesn't suit you that suits them now if you're a business owner uh, you don't want to concentrate your risk on one customer don't concentrate your borrowing with one bank spread that out yeah no I, I, yeah that, and that makes a lot of sense 
um, logically. It's just that without knowing how the banks operate or what it goes on behind the scenes, which again, like you said, a, a broker with good relationships with lots of financial institutions is going to have a finger on the pulse with what actually goes on at the back end. And we don't even think about that. We don't think about banks being um, businesses as well who have experienced those difficulties you mentioned before with COVID and staffing and, um, you know, overseas experiences that are different to ours as small businesses. We can be a little bit insular that way sometimes, absolutely. And that's what I think it's good that a broker themselves are often running their own businesses as well as having those connections to the banks. Would you agree? Oh, absolutely. See, my role in advocacy for CAFPA, uh, one of the reasons that we've been very successful in some of the things that we've sought from government is they listen to us because we represent ourselves, but we are also customer-facing. And, you know, Alexi, you, in your advocacy, would be aware of, you would have experience with stakeholder groups where there's a lot of people sitting around, some of them represent government bodies and different industry associations, but not everybody is customer-facing. You are customer-facing, I'm customer-facing, and so we can talk about what actually happens at street level. Um, I talk to, you know, CEOs of banks, uh, executive general managers of banks, to Treasury, uh, the Treasurer, um, all those sorts of bodies, the Reserve Bank and so forth. And quite often there's a disconnect between what the CEO of the bank says or wants and what actually happens at operational level. And if we've got line of sight to all the parts of the bank, we can explain that back to or we can provide information about, you know, what's actually happening in the bank and what the pot and what the outcome is relative to the policy or the intended outcome was. Mm. Um, uh, if I can go back to um, the funding requirements and just, you know, being financially fit, there was, was one that I, I should have mentioned. That's uh, have your tax up to date. And I don't just mean have an arrangement with the tax office and keep that up to date. Pay your tax. Don't enter an arrangement with the tax office. And, and I can explain why that is. Actually, we're going to take a quick break here on Small Biz Matters and listen to some community service announcements. And when we come back here on Triple H 100.1 FM, we're going to be speaking a little bit more with David about what does that mean? What do you mean I can't get into an arrangement with the ATO? Everyone's telling me I can. But stick with us. We're going to be back after the break and talk more to David Gandolfo after this. This episode of Small Biz Matters is proudly sponsored by the Australian Small Business and Family Enterprise Ombudsman's Office. Led by Kate Carnell since its establishment only four years ago, Aspifio has provided education, advocacy and support, including free assistance if a small business is involved in a dispute. The office also provides assistance for disputes that fall under the franchising, dairy, horticultural and oil industry codes. Kate Carnell, as an independent advocate for small business owners, has the legislative power to influence our nation's lawmakers, ensuring legislation and regulations are put in place to help small businesses grow and, in these times, survive. Small businesses are the engine room of the economy, and it's Aspifio's role to do all they can to ensure they have the freedom to innovate, employ and thrive well into the future. And welcome back to Triple H 100.1 FM. We're in the studio and it's a pre-recorded session today. Uh, We've been talking to David Gandolfo about uh, commercial broking and how it's important for you as a small business owner to engage with a qualified, professionally certified uh, commercial broker. And if you missed any of the beginning of the show, we were talking about what it means to be financially fit what you can do in your business to make sure that you are acceptable and, I guess, desirable to lenders and something that somebody that they want to, to lend money to. Because we 
We experience that as small business owners. We feel a little bit discriminated against by, by the big banks when compared with big business. So what can you do? And also what COVID has done um, to impact the way the banks operate, but also the way that they lend money to small business. So if you've missed any of today's show, you can catch up, of course, via smallbizmatters.com.au, where there are over now 205 podcasts just like this one to learn from. Plus, you can download the entire back catalogue if you've really, really got a lot of time on your hands via Spotify and iTunes as well. But check out the website as well. So, David, let's talk about something which I kind of got a little bit of a fright about when you mentioned before. You said that it's really important to keep up to date with the ATO but not engage in uh, a payment arrangement with them. Why is that um, negative consequence for people who are looking for lending? All right, so the short answer to that, unfortunately, and I'm on the side of the tax office here, by the way. I'm not on the side of the banks with this one. Uh, but it's policy, bank policy with most banks not to lend money to you if you have any kind of arrangement with the tax office. Now, what's happened lately, uh, well, this has been happening for years, by the way, but it's happened more and more uh, during the COVID period when there's been more concessions being offered and more arrangements being offered. Uh, quite rightly... A lot of accountants and bookkeepers and advisors and business owners have been offered uh, or uh, 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 have offered their clients arrangements with the tax office rather than pay your, your tax in one lump, you can pay it over 12 months. Uh, the problem with that, if the bank sees it, they will see, uh, they might see interest on your uh, on your P&L, uh, interest to the tax office. They're certainly going to see an outstanding tax set. Um, on your balance sheet. And one of the things that they will ask for is a copy of your tax portals. And that, that is a listing of all of your tax transactions in and out and anything that's owing now. And even if you're, you enter an arrangement to make 12 equal monthly payments of whatever it is, uh, most lenders will say, no, that's an arrangement. We need to have zero tax. And we need to have had, some lenders will say, we need to have had zero tax for 12 months. Uh, so, and now I don't think they're right. Statistically, and this is before COVID, there were 800,000 tax arrangements granted every year and about 600, five, 600,000 of them were current at any given time. Less than 2,000 per year would end up in any kind of litigation. So the idea that you're in trouble because you're in tax, you've got a tax debt or you've got an arrangement with the tax office, to me, is just nonsense. But... Uh, when the banks have to be responsible in their lending, they have to abide by a code of practice which says we can only lend to people who uh, have got capacity to borrow, uh, to, to repay, then why would we be lending to people who can't pay their tax? Uh, and that's the, the attitude that they take. Now, about uh, 18 months ago, in, in late 2019, I gathered a group of senior financiers and they were chief risk officers, people at that level, and took them to Canberra into the as BIFIO office, the Australian Small Business Family Enterprise office, and I had Deborah Jenkins there who was uh, as a Deputy Tax Commissioner and the appropriate one was at the time. And we had this discussion and we still couldn't get anywhere with changing policy on that. So, uh, unfortunately, whilst it makes sense to uh, hold on to your cash and pay the tax office over time and um, maintain your liquidity, uh, you're better off if you can't make your tax, pay your tax under an arrangement, or if you can't pay it in one go, uh, you're better off to actually seek alternate finance because the banks don't seem to be bothered if you borrow from another bank, but they are if, they, if you borrow from the ATO. 
I suppose when we run a small business, we know that um, one of our biggest, um, you know, organisations that we're going to owe money to is going to be the ATO. It's kind of something that you accept. It's kind of interesting that the banks have got such a basic understanding of that as well and they don't seem to see a bigger picture. But I guess that for them is an easy starting point, you know, quickly run a report um, from the ATO, find out what the debt is and if the risk is too high that you almost get crossed off the line with the first, um, first opportunity they get. Well, it kind of works for you and against you. I mean, you know, some of the banks have got really good lending policies based on your BAS statements, and they'll, they'll do a fairly quick assessment on your BAS statement. But, of course, that's going to tell you whether or not, tell them whether or not there's, well, they're going to say from the BAS statement how much tax should be paid. Then they're going to, the next thing they're going to ask for is a portal and see whether or not it has been paid. So uh, it kind of does work for you and against you. But uh, you're right. I mean, it, you would think that it shouldn't matter if you've got money owing to the government, but it actually does. So what other things do banks really look at? Um, I know we've talked about being financially fit and having everything up to date so you can very quickly supply them with the information that they need, but what do they see that we don't supply them as small business owners? Okay, so they've got credit checks that they will do and they'll do them typically through Equifax or somebody like that uh, and they'll see your credit score, um, which, which raises another point which I might segue to, but uh, part of this process, don't make credit inquiries unless you're convinced that lender is going to approve you because, and this is a problem that a lot of people have, and it's, again, I'm an, I'm an advocate for the commercial finance broking industry, but go to a good broker who will know what the lending criteria is of each of these lenders. The reason is that each time you make a credit inquiry that doesn't proceed, it diminishes your credit score. So, uh, and the higher your credit score, the easier it is for you uh, to get credit. Once you get below a certain level, it becomes very, very difficult and you are then in, only in the realm of the second and third tier lenders. So the cost of your credit gets exponentially higher as your credit score goes down. So only make inquiries that are going to actually turn into something, to an actual loan. Uh, so that's one. Uh, they've got access to, they will ask you for your tax portals and they will find, um, they'll see what your tax history is there. Obviously, they're going to ask you for your financial statements, uh, your identifiers, your driver's licences, stuff like that. They will need to identify you. Uh, they also will, whatever the purpose is of your loan, uh, they'll do their own research about uh, the industry that you're in. So they'll have some sort of, um, some KPIs or some sort of, uh, uh, they'll have some knowledge of what the norms are within that. They're going to look through your P&L and they're going to say, hang on a second, you're, uh, you're spending on one aspect or on, on one expense or another is sort of out of kilter with the industry norm. They might ask you. They have, all, they have a lot of that information. Uh, they will certainly, if you're buying, say, a, a piece of machinery, a crane, car, whatever it is, from a particular supplier, they will have information about that supplier. Uh, and they will, depending on who you bank with, will have some banking records and they can look into those as well. Uh, and of course, your if you borrow from not from your own bank, from but from somewhere else, they're more limited in what they they can look at there. And a broker is going to ask you the same questions as what the bank's going to ask you, probably a little bit more efficiently too, I imagine, and and keep all those records on file. And, and naturally, obvious question, but um, you know, a good broker has is completely bound by that sort of financial confidentiality. We can be assured. Oh, yeah. Sorry, yeah. Uh, but we're, we're asking for, for accurate information. We're really just seeking truth. And what we're after, what we're wanting to do is provide you with the best possible outcome. 
well, we can do that when we've got the most information. Now, we, we might ask you a whole lot of things. We might not use all of that information, but it, it helps us to work out the best type of loan, uh, where it should be, and, and in fact, what other loans might be required in the next six to 12 months so that we've got a strategy about where we go now so we don't put an obstacle in place now for a loan that you're going to need six months from now. Yeah, speaking of which, that segues nicely into what I was going to ask you next, which is, you know, we've got over the hurdle of COVID. We seem and appear to be um, on on the the track for economic revival. Um, What do you think is going to be the situation moving forward for small business and what can government do better to improve the capacity for small businesses to be able to borrow? Okay, two parts to that. I'm very, very bullish about how things are going and I know that, you know, COVID has knocked us all for six but before COVID uh, and still you know we're we're in an environment where we've got the lowest interest rates in history or close to them it's not like previous recessions or economic slowdowns there's high liquidity in the market so there's tons of money around and that's very very different to the GFC and the low rates are very very different to the early 90s so uh, you know we've got low rates high liquidity tons of money in the market and we've got an economy that's actually bounding back very very quickly and it's growing on top of that, prior to COVID, uh, there was tons of federal government and state government infrastructure funding for infrastructure. And there's, I mean, any capital city that you go to, there is tons of infrastructure, you know, being done. I live in Melbourne. They're digging up half of it to put out, you know, in new tunnels and railways and things. Uh, I was in Adelaide on the weekend. There's roadworks all over the place there. Here in Brisbane, where I am at the moment, there's tons of stuff going on. Sydney, there's cranes everywhere. I mean, there's there's tons of infrastructure going on, which is fantastic. And that leads to, not just to the big companies who, uh, the major companies who get these contracts, but it filters down to the suppliers and the ancillary businesses who actually provide services to those businesses. And that is small businesses and the people who feed them and and provide the coffees and everybody else. That's all good. So I'm very, very confident about where we're headed um, in that sense. Um, And then the other thing that's become very abundantly clear over the last 12 months is that, you know, we've really suffered from not being able to do some things in Australia. And there are tons of, well, the instant asset write-off extension uh, and the temporary extension, which has been given to basically write off virtually any asset that any small business is going to buy, um, whether they finance it or not. the incentive is there from government to increase our capacity to manufacture. And I know in our own client base, uh, our manufacturers are going gangbusters, buying lathes, presses, punches, laser machines, uh, the transport industry, the warehousing logistics that actually to move all this stuff around. Uh, there is a lot of throughput capacity increase, which is going on in manufacturing and uh, and I think that'll hold Australia, the economy generally, in good stead going forward. So I think we've, you know, we've had a wake-up call. We don't build cars here anymore, but we still build trucks, caravans, um, some aircraft, uh, and uh, railway, uh, you know, railway cars, and sort of thing. We we build a lot of heavy equipment here, but we need to be able to build more of it and quicker, and be less reliant on foreign markets. So that's a good thing for everyone. You've, you've clearly got a finger on the pulse of what's going on in regards to capital financing because all those big pieces of equipment are there. But what about innovation? Do you think that the government's doing enough um, in the manufacturing industry to really uh, I- encourage innovation, encourage technology, encourage um, cleaner, greener um, energy efficiency in that space? Do you think that there's enough going on there? 
All right, well, I'm the financier and I know that there are some finance incentives available uh, in the green space and um, there are, through the Clean Energy Finance Corporation, there is some subsidised lending which is available out there for innovative green products or um, uh, in projects that you're going to finance yourself in your business and typically they're about 70 basis points or 0.7% cheaper than regular lending or equivalent lending. Uh, I know that both sides of politics, because we engage with both sides, uh, have, uh, and Labor in particular, uh, recently been saying a lot about innovation and um, uh, and what they are planning to do in terms of making us a more innovative country uh, and increasing our throughput capacity there. Uh, and the government is, you know, one of the incentives that they're offering is... Uh, 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 is incentives through, uh, well, through manufacturing, through spending, uh, to uh, to increase our, our capacity or, or and our ability to innovate. So I know I'm answering it in a kind of a roundabout way, but, uh, uh, but no, you've, you've got a sense that the, that the intention is there and and the oh, heading in the right direction. It's very very clearly there, and uh, and it's it's in in both houses, or in, sorry, both sides of of parliament, uh, and uh, and. You know, most industries, I think, certainly we see a lot of clients in the same industry and you see things that some people do and you think, wow, you know, they've really, um, uh, they've really, they've, made, they've really got a point of difference. And really it's innovation. It's, that's the essence though of small business, not to be like every other small business around you, but to do something differently, have your point of difference. And that is, that's the essence of innovation. Mm. Well, it's, a, it's a wonderful way to um, to end the program. It is it is so important. It's the essence of what we need is capital, and and we often need to go and get some support from from other organisations and from organisations such as yourself and from professionals to help us increase the capacity of our business to grow. And heaven knows that if you haven't been growing in the last 12 months, which is a lot of us um, small businesses, you certainly will be in the next 12 if you've managed to survive the last 12 months oh. of activity. Um, Alex, I think you need a gold medal. If you've survived the last 12 months, I think you know, the bank should just say, fine, here's your money. Yeah, yeah. Of it doesn't work that way. You've got fortitude on your side, but, yeah, they don't, they don't yeah. measure that, do they? Well, thank you so much for joining us today, David. Tell us a little bit about where people can find out more about you and what it is that um, you and the professional association you represent does. Uh, we're at CAFBA, C-A-F-B-A.com.au. That is the industry body that represents uh, commercial finance brokers and a, a whole range of professional standards education programs which are behind that. Uh, and I'm uh, in a, a, a commercial finance broking firm in Melbourne, Quantum Business Finance, and I'm easy to find online as well. Fantastic. Now, if any of you have missed any of today's program, you can, of course, catch up via smallbizmatters.com.au, iTunes, Spotify, wherever you get your small business education podcasts. And if you've got something you'd like to chat about with us, get in touch via events at smallbizmatters.com.au. And make sure you subscribe to our newsletter as well to find out all the fantastic guests who have been on the show in the past and coming up in the next few weeks. Thanks so much again for joining me, David. Alexia, it's been a pleasure. Thank you very much. This week's episode was proudly broadcast from Triple H Studios in Sydney, Australia and sponsored by the Office of the Australian Small Business and Family Enterprise Ombudsman. If you've enjoyed listening, go ahead and give us some thank you stars on your podcasting platform. It would be much appreciated. Then head to the Small Biz Matters website where you can listen to over 170 episodes, read more about our speakers and find out how to become a media partner. See you all next time.